preaching on Father's Day actually has worked out great for me. As you can see, I got a nice new shirt and tie combo this morning <laughs> from Kayla and the kids, so that's much appreciated, and uh, look forward to wearing it again next year about this time, so <laughs> thank you. I am grateful for uh, this opportunity just to, to lead us in opening of God's Word this morning. It's a great privilege, and, and I'm thankful for that. I want to pray for us, to pray for me as I deliver and proclaim the truth, and to pray for you that we'll listen and hear and heed God's Word. So would you, would you pray with me? Father, we do bow before you, God, recognizing our great need of grace even now. Lord, we want to honor you with the words that you have given to us. God, I want to honor you as I proclaim them, Lord, and I know we want to honor them as we heed them. So God, would you give us your spirit? Would you give us grace? Lord, not only to understand, but to apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is week number three of six in our Cry of the Soul series here through Selected Psalms. I know last week uh, with Psalm 13, we heard the cry of the psalmist, How long, O Lord? And the week before that, or, or last week in Psalm 130, we hear the psalmist cry, Out of the depths I cry to you, O God. And today, as, as Patty read, we'll consider a well-known cry, a cry of the psalmist as he asks three times in 42 and 43, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted or in turmoil within me? I think even in just these few short weeks, we see why it is that Calvin referred to the Psalms as the anatomy of the human soul. You know, reading through these Psalms is almost as if our, our human inner man, our inner man is laid out on the examining table as we often see just raw emotion and struggle of heart it becomes clear. I think we'll be reminded again today as we, as we turn to this truth that the Psalms really arm us with honest and, and heartfelt pleas for us to be able to speak back to our God in times of heartache and turmoil. They so closely frame our experience as we've read through. And they so closely describe our condition of our soul. And today's psalm is no exception. I, I want us to read uh, the entire psalm. We'll actually be reading from two psalms. Uh, as most believe that, that these two make up one longer psalm. And so we'll read Psalm 42 and 43 and really follow along and follow the psalmist as he cries out to God. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Chapter 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again appraise him, my salvation and my God. Here we catch a a glimpse of real turmoil, real spiritual struggle and even internal despair. It's interesting to me that uh, as the song book of the children of Israel, their worship book of praise, that two-thirds of the Psalms, as David Paulison puts it, are written in the minor key. In other words, the Psalter here speaks very honestly to real presence of struggle. Even for those, and and maybe even especially for those who are in the believing covenant community, those who, who love and serve God and those whom God loves and knows, we are not exempt from this strife. And actually, as we view the rest of Scripture, we, we shouldn't be surprised at this. As Christ himself, the man of sorrows, who experienced great grief, he promised his followers, you will have trouble in this life. Don't be surprised at the trials that you face, even internal and spiritual struggle. Most sitting here today know what that spiritual struggle is. You know what spiritual trials are and how they often plague us, even as believers. And here in this psalm, Psalm 42 and 43 exhibit for us those very vividly, really allowing us to see the hurt and even spiritual depression that the writer is facing at this time. Just as an aside, we're not certain who wrote this psalm. Many attribute it to the sons of Korah, as you see in the title there. Although that could be who it's written for, not necessarily by, many attribute it to David. We're not certain, but what is clear, regardless of the author, as a believer in Yahweh, he is treading a difficult path, and as he does so, he's very much afflicted. So I pray that that we'll be helped this morning by just peering into this passage. I want to reflect on two major emphases that we see throughout this um, psalm. First, I want us to notice the condition of the writer as he describes it here. We've heard it as, as we've read it, but I want us to just pick apart the condition. And then secondly, I want us to notice the response. How does he react when he's in this spot? Before going there, just consider for a moment that this anguish of heart that he describes here is not an isolated incident or passage of Scripture. We're, we're well aware of that. In many ways, it's the language of Scripture that we find. In, in 1965, you've heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he wrote a book entitled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes 
and cures. He was a pastor in London, the mid-19th century, or mid-20th century, I should say. And he wrote a psalm based entirely off, or wrote a book based entirely off of this psalm, Psalm 42. Listen to what he writes regarding spiritual discouragement and depression. He says this, it's interesting to note the frequency with which this particular theme is dealt with in the scriptures. And the only conclusion to be drawn from that is that it is a very common condition. It seems to be a condition, he says, which has afflicted God's people right from the beginning. For you find it described throughout and dealt with in the Old Testament and in the New. It's, it's true, right? We see from Job to Moses, Elijah, Jonah, the, the Apostle Paul, even Christ at times. We could look at numerous examples through the Bible of, of saints of God who walk through spiritual trial, even spiritual discouragement and depression. You make the same case from church history as, as people whom we would consider spiritual giants describe in their diaries or, or in their biographies just the spiritual bouts of discouragement, depression that they face. And bringing it even right here, even among us, many, if not all of us, would agree that, that spiritual depression is common, even here. It's often referred to as the common cold of mental illness. Clearly to varying degrees where some experience a a down day here and there, all the way to to where it becomes debilitating, to even function in life, where it might become difficult to even get out of bed sometimes. I know most of us are probably somewhere in between those two, but one author, listen to, to how he reminds us. He says that you are not alone in this condition. Most are either in it, will go through it, or are just coming out of it. That may be an overstatement, I'm not sure. But the feelings and the spiritual despair and state described in this psalm are often our own experience, as I think we will see. So let us look, first consider the psalmist's condition as he describes it. You know, to begin, if you just scan through this text, and even as we've read it, it's, it's plain fairly quickly to see just the inner angst that is felt, maybe even from verse 1, as the writer pants and thirsts for God, perhaps discouraged by just a spiritual dryness, an inability to commune with God. He says that as he asks, when shall I come and appear before God? He's thirsting. But then in verse 3, if you'll look, we're left without a doubt as to his internal grief when he speaks of continual crying day and night. His tears are with him. Perhaps even stealing interest in in eating. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. I can't stop crying, says the psalmist. Some of you know that experience. Sometimes crying even for hours and, and, and not really knowing why. He also hints in verse 3 of just external pressures that he's facing. He mentions for the first of several times a, a faceless, nameless enemy that we'll see mentioned throughout. Again, we're not told who they are, but they taunt him that God doesn't care, that God doesn't even exist. They ask him repeatedly. In fact, all the day long as you read further, he says in verse 10, where is your God? Verse 9, and in chapter 43, 2, he mentions again the oppression that the enemy drapes over him. He describes it as a dagger or a deadly wound in his bones. He writes, he has taunted, quote, continually. 
about this absent God? Where, where is he? So not only is the psalmist here, the writer, feeling the internal anguish of soul, but then his misery is compounded as these forces mock his God, as he appears to be at least non-caring, but at the most even non-existent. And so he cries, God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? says almost the exact same thing in, in 43.2. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? God, you, you've turned your back. That's what it feels like sometimes. Where are you? The silence that he felt in the darkness made it seem like God was unconcerned in his pain. Have you felt like that? God, where are you in this situation? And if you are, how could you be? I don't sense your presence. Brother and sister, God includes this here for us today. God is up to something in our discouragement, in our trials. And while we will never maybe know the whys, or may never even experience complete relief that we so desire, we can know based upon his word that he is not absent. He has not forgotten you. Even in this psalm, people, as, as we consider his word, think of what Paul says. We, we know that whatever was written in former days, such as this, was written for our instruction. And not only that, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, these scriptures, we might have hope. God wants to minister to our hearts even in this psalm today. As we look on, if there was any doubt about the the spiritual struggle that he was facing, he erases that doubt with with the chorus that he scatters throughout this psalm. Verse 5, verse 11, 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And he closes the psalm in 43.5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? His soul, the, the immaterial part of his being, has been thrust down into the depths, into the pit, and he can see nowhere out. Literally, as, as you look at this, his soul groans within him. Or it is disquieted, you may have in your version. There's, there's turmoil within. You think even of Paul in Romans 8 as he says, the creation, in fact, the whole creation, groans now as it waits for redemption. And in a similar way, his soul groans. There's no peace or rest, just spiritual agitation, unsettled emotion that pummel him. And so he states very plainly in verse 6, my soul is cast down. He's very honest. He's not looking to hide or pretend that everything is okay. He acknowledges the pain and he groans. Scanning further, he says in verse 7, I love the way the Psalms will paint with vivid imagery, really helping us to feel with these word pictures what the psalmist is feeling. He says in verse 7, as he completes this picture of his soul, He says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. 
all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's as if he's grasping for air under just waves of discouragement. The breakers, the roaring waterfalls are crashing. I love as Derek Kidner, who's a commentator on the Psalms, he states of this psalm, he says, here is the picture of all that is overwhelming. He's cast down. He's overwhelmed. He's feeling forgotten. In this life, Jesus said, you, you will have troubles. Many of us can relate, at least in part, to this scene. We're not going to stay here. I know this is a discouraging start to a message. I, I feel that. I know that. But before we look at how the, the, the writer will respond, I want you to notice perhaps the most significant reason in this text as to why the psalmist is so discouraged. And just as an aside, I know there are many, many reasons and causes for depression that, that, that are hard to understand. They're physical and, and chemical um, surpluses and deficiencies. So really just our physical makeup or just circumstances that we're facing in life, difficult times. There, there are lots of reasons, maybe even due to ongoing sin that we're struggling with and we become down and discouraged. There's no victory as soon as we would like. A lot of times these, these blend together and bleed into one another, making it just a, a very complex struggle to deal with. I know the issues surrounding depression often leave us without the answers we like. There's mystery, without a doubt. But in this instance, much of the inner turmoil, as you read through this passage, much of the spiritual discouragement becomes because he couldn't be with God. He desires to commune with the living God, and he wants more of him. So we see him panting and thirsting and inquiring, when can I come and appear before God? Or literally, when will I come and appear before the face of this God? Because of where he was at, the location, his proximity, we're not sure if he was in exile or away at battle, but he was, he was far away from Jerusalem. So he says in verse five or verse four, he was unable to go with the congregation to the house of God. At this point, he's only able to think back to these times of, of public worship where there were glad shouts and songs of praise, he says. Clearly, this was a different day where, where the worship of God was tied to that physical temple, which represented the presence of God. And so he's panting. He's thirsting. He wants to appear. He knows from experience that God is the only source of lasting and exceeding joy, he tells us in 43. So he longs to be with him. He knows that's where true peace resides, is in communion with God. You've heard of Augustine, as he, as he wrote back in, I don't know, the third century, in his book, The Confessions. He says, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. He knows this. And while many of us here may struggle with depression for other and, and numerous reasons, I think at a minimum this passage is instructive for us to pause and really to consider our own desire and our pursuit of God. Do we thirst like this for the living God? Are we restless when we don't commune, even discouraged 
when we don't have that fellowship with the living God? Or is it the temporal and common numerous pursuits are stealing away any thirst that we have for him? I think it's good for us to consider our own souls and to examine our hearts. Are we pursuing him? For the remaining few minutes here this morning, I want for us to note on a positive um, side just how the white writer responds to his struggle, the spot that he is in. It seems very clear that the title on this psalm is appropriate. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Clearly, he was cast down. We see that. But think about this. Even in the posing of that question, he's indicating that, that things are not as they should be right? Why are you in turmoil? He asks himself that honestly. And and in considering this response, we're not this morning going to find five easy steps of of kicking depression for good. That's not how the scriptures are designed. And for many, this may be a a slow but steady climb out as as we are conformed to the image of Christ. For others, God may continue to deliver you each day as as you look to him and you find him to be your exceeding joy. The point is, don't hear these as quick fixes for depression. But yet it's just as true that God's word, and we, we can be confident in this, that God's word does deliver from darkness. He has delivered from darkness and he will. As the creator of our souls and as, in fact, the causer of our circumstances, God is able to deliver. And he inspired this song to help us. Briefly, I want you to notice three responses that help the writer to fight his condition. And he is fighting. He doesn't surrender to the pummeling waves and emotions. Just as an aside, again, for some here this morning, you may be thinking at this point, I, you know, I really don't deal with depression to the degree that's been described here. I, I don't deal with that level of discouragement that, that seems to be plaguing this writer, which is a blessing, right? Perhaps for you, it's just occasional moments during the week, perhaps on a, on a Sunday afternoon or a, or a Monday morning when, when, when life is just coming at you with different responsibilities and, and you're tempted to, to not trust in God. Maybe you're feeling a little lower than usual. I know personally for me, thinking about preparing multiple teachings or, or even thinking about creed camp coming around the corner or, or dealing with Tom as a boss. I mean, just things, you know, things like that, that that hit us. I need to scratch that from the tape. I'm just total, total kidding there. But I think the call here is the same for all of us. And there's help in these verses. There is help in these texts. First of all, notice that he, he remembers God. He intentionally brings him to mind. Look down at verse 6, where he states, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. In the midst of uncertainty, and, and even from a distant land as he describes, he rehearses for himself He rehearses in his mind what he knows to be true about his God. Consider what he calls to mind to help help stay him in this condition. He says in verse 4, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He brings to mind times of worshiping God with his brothers and sisters. That brings him joy. He thinks to the joy that it brought him, and that strengthens him as he pours out his soul. He contemplates God and times of worshiping him. Much could be said here about, about right here, this public gathering as a prime place of fighting discouragement. We need one another. We talk about that often here. The help of the gathered community that is right here. He contemplates that. This is what he calls to mind about God and his people. He also remembers that God is in complete control even over calamity, even in despair. Look at verse 7, deep calls to deep. Listen, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. He knows that nothing comes to him apart from God's good design. He believes that. There is a frightening roar, so to speak, in the midst of suffering. But he remembers that this, even this, is not out of the hands of God. In fact, while we don't often understand it, the designed breakers, your breakers, come from his hand. It's God who tells us in Isaiah, it is I who form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And while it doesn't make the pain disappear by any means, the psalmist takes comfort in remembering the sovereign, steady hand of a good and faithful and loving God. And so in verse 8, he's able to offer up a prayer. He says, to the God of my life. He is the God of my life. He is controlling the breakers and we can trust him. He will not hand you more than you can handle by his strength. Can you rest in that this morning? Even in the midst of what seems to be an out-of-control situation, that he is in control. He has good purposes for your suffering. This is the same God who later demonstrated and proved this love and goodness as he offered his son Jesus for those who hated him to rescue them from spiritual, eternal darkness. We can trust the good purposes of God even when they don't make sense. The writer remembers God's sovereign hand and quickly he he remembers God by recalling by bringing to mind his steadfast promised love. Even though he has gone through tears, even though tears have been his food, he says in verse 3. In verse 8, he says, but by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. His song is still with me. The writer brings this to mind that God is faithful. He's mercifully loving, and he can take comfort in this. So first of all, he remembers God. Secondly, As we just look at his response, he pleads with God. We've seen that throughout this series as we've looked even in in two weeks prior and even today. 
Just humble cries for deliverance, humble cries to God. Four times throughout this passage, we see him asking, why? Why is this happening? Why have you rejected me, God? Why have you forgotten me? But in pleading with God, those those questions that he calls out to God then turn to requests as he says, vindicate me, God. Defend me. Lead me in your light, in your truth. He asks, lead me back to your presence. Because he knows that deliverance comes from God and him alone, he pleads with him. He goes to God. That is where you must go. That is where we must turn in trial and in suffering and in strife. Pleading with God. English pastor Charles Spurgeon, if you know anything about him, he suffered greatly uh, from bouts of depression, often at times keeping him for, for weeks at a time away from the pulpit as he just dealt with this spiritual darkness. He writes this, It is well to tell the Lord how we feel. And the more plain the confession, the better. David talks like a sick child to its mother, and we should learn to imitate him. This is a major reason that God has given us the Psalms, to really provide for us a template for pouring out our soul to God, to coming before him and and really wrestling with the heart of God, not with anger or contempt or, or, or grumbling, but with genuine cries for deliverance and even beyond deliverance, for eyes of faith, for hope that God would complete what he is doing in this valley. I think of C.S. Lewis as he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but what? He shouts to us in our pain. God is there. He says, you, God, are my rock. Send your light. He pleads with God. So in fighting for faith, in the midst of spiritual discouragement, in the midst of spiritual depression, we see the writer remembers God. He pleads with God and finally notice that he challenges himself to hope in God. In fact, he talks to himself. He really, he really is preaching to himself. The entire psalm is, is a monologue. We never hear God speak back. But we see the psalmist here taking a hold of himself and speaking to his own soul in earnest. Typically, we see that as a problem where we're talking to ourselves. But here, this is a good thing. We're to examine. Truly ask when we're in this pit, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil? There is a cause. And even if we don't fully discover it, we are, as the children of God, to consider our own souls. But then not stop there, right? We can get ground into the pit even further if we stay there just wondering and asking why. We don't stop there. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones again in his book, Spiritual Depression. He makes this point. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. 
You have to take yourself in hand, he says. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be in turmoil? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, exhort and say to yourself, hope thou in God. That's what we see the writer doing here. He challenges himself with those three choruses throughout. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He knew that this present downcast mood was not the final chapter. He did not have to stay there. And he believed with confidence that he would emerge from the pit, that God would set his feet on a rock, and that he again would find his exceeding joy, his God. What a contrast from a soul that is cast down and in complete despair, then to verse 8, all the way to exceeding abundant joy that he believed was going to be his again because he knew the deliverer. Deliverance will come for those who cry out to him in faith. He is our hope, and he preaches that to himself. In 42 and 43, I think we really see an honest, painful, real heartache. But then we're drawn as we see eyes lifted to God in hope. An ongoing fight for faith, I think, is a fight to remember God, to even plead with Him, but then to challenge ourselves to hope in this God, even in the darkness. Just before we pray, I want to just encourage you. This, this is an amazing passage here in Hebrews that I want to read and, and just inc- encourage you to, to see Jesus as our example and as our Savior. Today, as, as believers and unbelievers alike, those who know Christ and even those who don't, Jesus here is our example who entrusted himself to the Father in his grief. We know Jesus suffered great grief a grief that we will never quite comprehend. And yet today, on this side of the cross, He now is our only hope for salvation, both internally for for the temporal darkness, but even more importantly for you as a non-believer or or a non-Christian today, for rescue from eternal darkness that Jesus provides. Listen to our example in King in in Hebrews 5. I love this. He says in verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. He became the source of our eternal salvation. We don't know that the psalmist was able to look ahead specifically to this. In fact, he probably was not. But today, as the Savior has come, and by the grace that our God provides, we can now place and rest our hope and our confidence 
to trust this one fully, this, this Jesus who, who by his death and through his resurrection is our salvation. He is our deliverer. And not just from temporal darkness that will pass, but from eternal darkness for those who cry out to him in faith. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. Will you pray with me? And as is our practice, we'll spend a few moments here in prayer and we'll be closed at the end by an elder. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it's in many ways a dark passage as we see our own souls apart from you. God, there is discomfort, there is discouragement, but God, yet there is great hope. Lord, may we think today, may we contemplate on the hope that you provide, especially in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.